You're listening to the Inglewood College Podcast. Inglewood College is a ministry of Inglewood Baptist Church in Jackson, Tennessee. We believe that just because this season is temporary doesn't mean it can't be deeply transformative. Love God. Love people. Serve the world. All right. So uh, we're starting a new series tonight, as you can tell by looking at a graphic that's on the screen. Um, and uh, I don't know if the name jumps out at you and uh, explains what we're talking about. Um, you know, any, any number of things that come to your mind when you start thinking about, what does that mean? What am I supposed to delight in? Here's the thing. We're, this is really coming off of a, a verse that we actually referenced last week. Um, in the message last week, we, we mentioned this verse, Psalm 37, verse 4. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so we're going to try to figure out, how do we do that? How do, how do we delight ourselves in the Lord? Because really, we just talked about a series where we, we said, okay, we got these feelings, and we said, okay, we're going to take the feelings, and we're going to try to line them up against truth, and we got to see, okay, how do we respond to the things that we feel? And this is more of like, hey, okay, so we've, we've tried to figure out how to take some of our natural feelings that come up and uh, align them to truth or respond to them in a way that is reflective of God's Word. But now we're going to look at how do we create feelings in ourselves for the Lord? Like, how do, how do I delight myself in the Lord? How is it that my desire will go out and, and be for Him and, and not, just, you know, not, not just have feelings that rise up about other things or, um, you know, or longing or whatever for a relationship like we talked about last week, but how do I get my desires to long for the Lord? How do I delight myself in Him? And hopefully it'll be somewhat practical, but also just kind of center us up on, you know, at least tonight, at least on, on God Himself. And so, uh, you know, the genesis of this series was really last, last week, I went home after Sojourn, and I just was like, I don't even know what we're talking about next week. And I was, I felt impressed that I needed to sit there and, and figure it out. I was like, I don't know what the rest of the semester holds. Let's, let's just sit down. And for the next couple hours, I sat in my den, and I was working on different options. Like, okay, here we could do five weeks talking about this. We could do three weeks talking about this. And really what started all that was, um, I don't know if you ever do this, but you like, if anybody in here is anywhere close to perfectionist, you like look back at things that you did before and you're like picking them apart, trying to, well, I'll do better next time. I'll, I'll figure out how to do things next time. And so I was looking back at the message from last week and I'm like, oh, you know, here's some things. I feel like it wasn't very good or I feel like this was, could have been better or whatever. And so in my mind, I'm like, I got to fixate to find the right thing that will make all the best sense for the next three weeks. And so I, that, that was what was starting all this for me and thinking about it. And I, as I went on and I came up with several different options, you know, I finally came back to this verse, you know, delight yourself in the Lord and he give you the desires of your heart. And I was like, hmm, I think that's it. I think I'm not delighting in the Lord. I think I'm missing this myself, that I'm, I am trying so hard to get everything just right and do everything really well and trying to be excellent on my own or whatever, but I'm not delighting in the Lord. And so I just sat there thinking through, I didn't really come up with even three weeks worth of options. I was just like, I think we need to talk about this because I, I knew I needed to dig into this. And so I sat there and I just was praying and just spending time with the Lord, realizing how much further I had to go in depending on him and in delighting in him. And so it was just like kind of a sweet time for me with the Lord and praying about these things. And over the past week, it's been a 
kind of a focus for me. How can I delight myself in the Lord, and how can I help you guys understand how to delight yourself in the Lord? And some of the things that we're going to talk about are similar uh, to something that a, a certain guy said, a guy named John Piper. Do you all know who John Piper is? So we did a John Piper quote at the beginning of the last series, actually, and uh, now we're talking to John Piper again, but he's, he's pretty good. Um, he has this book called Desi- Desiring God, and uh, it came out a long time ago, but it really is, centers up on this idea of Christian hedonism, okay, and you don't have to know what that means. I'm, I'm going to tell you the whole premise of his, of his book is that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. And so this book, Desiring God, is centered up around that big idea. And so he takes uh, kind of like a traditional wording from, uh, from a catechism from hundreds of years ago, and he sort of rewrites it just by a word, and he says this, that the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Like the chief end of man, what we were made for, is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. So one of the things he says in this book, Desiring God, is he's talking about that our desire for joy is legitimate. It's not wrong to want happiness. It's not wrong to, to want to experience joy, but that our joy can only fully be realized in Him. And he says this, that we have, you know, we have a tendency to desire too little, not too much. Sometimes we think our desires are too strong. It's maybe desires for the things of the world are, are too strong and, and we're having a hard time like sort of pushing our desires down so that we can focus on the Lord. But he's saying, no, it's, it's not that your desires are too strong, they're too weak. They're for things that can't satisfy or you're, you're seeking your desires and things that can't satisfy. And, and maybe we've come to think of God as somebody who just wants us to always be serious and not have any fun or not enjoy anything, but rather just always be in sort of a, a humble, lowly submission to him. Uh, and not enjoy our lives. And I don't think that's what we're supposed to think. I don't think that's the way we're supposed to approach things, that God wants us to enjoy this life that he's given us. He actually says in John 10, 10, that he came to give us abundant life. And so he wants us to have abundant life, a full life, joyful life. And so we're asking this question, how can we delight ourselves in him? And practically speaking, how do I like, increase my own delighting in him? And that's where I hope this series is going to go. And tonight, our primary focus is going to be on him, on the one that we're commanded to delight in. And we're going to look at his, his concern for us. And so we're going to read Psalm 8, Psalm chapter 8. If you would, go ahead and turn to that, uh, be pulling that open or pull out an app on your phone and go to Psalm chapter 8. It's going to be on the screen too. I'd love for us to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. So once you find it, go ahead and stand up. It's only nine verses. We'll read it all together and and then talk about it. So let's go on. I'm going to go ahead and start reading. Psalm 8 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens out of the mouth of babies and infants. You have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little while or a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen 
and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You guys can have a seat. One of the things I want us to see from this passage is, is that I want us really is to be mindful of the greatness of God. We need to be mindful of the greatness of God. At the beginning of the psalm and at the end, he says the same thing. He says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This word for Lord, one of them is, is kind of the word we would tend to think of as Lord. The second one, like a master uh, that you might serve. But the first Lord is probably in all caps in your translation, at least it is in mine. It's a reference to Yahweh, the name Yahweh for God. So when he says Yahweh, our Lord, we're talking about the God who is. God, when he chose to describe himself in the Old Testament, called himself Yahweh, which literally means I am. So I am who I am. He is the God who is. He is the one who has spoken all things into existence. Like this is the God who sovereignly rules over the world, that everything is in his hand. Nothing happens that is outside of his control or that he doesn't know about or has not allowed or has purpose in. He is perfect. He's unchanging. He doesn't need or lack anything. This is the God that we're referencing, that we're talking about. And so we want to be mindful of his greatness. He says, how majestic is your name in all the earth. He says, you have set your glory above the heavens. This majesty word, it really means like wide. So like he has wide-reaching prominence. He's ruling over all things, his, his majesty. So he's talking about majesty and talking about how he deserves all deference, that, it, that it's his authority over all things. It reaches far and wide. And he's talking about his glory, which really is, is an idea of like splendor. It's like his splendor. He is, he is so great and greatly to be praised and to be recognized. And the heavens and the earth are mentioned. And when he's talking about the heavens and the earth, if you go back to the beginning, when he talks about God making everything, he made the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's everything, everything that is. He is the creator of, and he is the one who is over. This is the God who is over all. And not only is this true, but his strength is so great that his enemies are stilled by the humblest of means. He says in verse 2, it's kind of a, like when we read this, you probably were like, what, is, what are you talking about? Out of the mouth of babies and infants. Well, like his enemies are stilled by what comes out of the mouth of babies and infants. I have an infant at home, and I have three other kids, and they're not scary. Okay, I could take all of them, all four of them at the same time. Okay, so what comes out of their mouths is not a scary thing, but it's like God can defeat and still his enemies out of the, with what comes out of the mouth of babies and infants. He doesn't need the strength of men to accomplish his purposes. He can do it. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that we are commanded to delight in. And then you get to verses 3 and 4 when it says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, and then says, what is man that you're mindful of him? You've created all these things. You're over all these things. There's such a huge expanse. If you, if you were to go outside and right now and, and look at the stars, you would, you've probably done this before. Think about how amazing and vast everything is. Like, what are we? Just a speck on this planet. I don't know if you've ever had that thought before. But if you ever just sat out and looked at the stars, you probably have had something like that come to your mind. I, what am I? I'm so small and insignificant in comparison with all these things. And, and that's kind of what David is saying, you know, the psalmist here. He's saying, when I think about all these things, what is man? 
that you would be mindful of him, the son of man that you would that you'd care for him. And the second thing I want us to see is that we need to consider how amazing it is that God would be mindful of us. So we said first, be mindful of the greatness of God. Well, consider now how amazing it is that God would be mindful of us. He says that, we, that he'd be mindful of us, that he would care for us. This idea of mindful is like remembering. God remembers us. And then the caring is, is like an attending to or an appointing to something. He is attending to us. And he words it like, how is it that God would really do these things, that he would really remember me, that he would really care for me? How is it that this is possible? And think about these things, that he would in, include creatures like us in the creation, small and insignificant in comparison with everything else or what it seems like, such a vast universe, everything else he's created, small and insignificant to us, that he would create us the way that he has, creatures with his own image written into us. He has written his image into us as a reflection of his nature and character to represent him on this earth. And when he says these things in like verse 5 where he says, and crowned him with glory and honor, you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. This idea of crowned him with glory and honor, this is like, this is the God of all glory. This is the God who deserves all honor and he is the one who is crowning us with glory and honor and setting it on us. Not that we deserve those things or that we earned them or that there's some inherent value in us. No, we are made of dust. And God has breathed on us life and given us his image. And he has chosen to do that, to set his image on us. He made us and gave us his image. And and that itself is more honor bestowed on us than we could possibly fathom. I don't know where you stand right now or what you think about yourself or what other people think about you, but you are... You have been bestowed honor upon just by having the image of God in you. You are worth so much because of just that, that God has given us this. And not only that, but creatures with a capacity to know him, to have a relationship with him, creatures with free will that they might love him, right? But with that also comes the possibility of rebelling against him, that he would create creatures like us that might rebel against him. And you might have asked this question before, Like, if God knew where things were going to go, if he knew what we were going to do and how the world was going to be corrupted based on sin that we are responsible for, then why would he make it in the first place? Why would he do that? And and maybe you've asked that question before. Like, why would he set all this into motion if he knew what was going to happen? And I want to say, I've had the same thoughts. But how foolish of us to think that or to ask, I mean, it's not wrong to ask questions, right, and to try to think through things, but if at the end of the day our, our assumption or the, the answer that we came to was that he shouldn't have started this, that would be foolish of us. How is it that we could know that it was better to not have been than to have been? It's impossible for us to know that. And I would say it is far better based on what I, what I read and think in Scripture, and not just on my own thoughts and my own feelings, but it's far better to have, to have been than never to have been. Because we have a chance as created beings to know our Creator. We have a chance, we have an opportunity to know Him, made for an opportunity to love Him and to be in a relationship with Him. And I'll be honest, I was thinking about this earlier, and I don't know that this is true. I don't know what it, what it means to be judged by God. Okay, I don't know what it, what it feels like to, be, to stand under judgment. 
But I was thinking about this earlier. I think I'd rather have been created, rebelled, and then stood in judgment with the opportunity to just see him. Even if it meant judgment, even if it meant that I felt the weight of his judgment, to just have the opportunity to see the creator God. I would rather have been created and experienced his judgment and had the opportunity to see him than to not have existed at all and to never have a chance to see him because that's how amazing and great he is. I I feel like even a glimpse of him would be better than to have never known anything at all. And maybe you disagree with me about that, but just the thought that we could know him personally, both now and forever, it is just beyond us. It's beyond our comprehension. And I mean, I do know him. I do know him, and yet, to know him as I will for eternity is still, like, too good for me to understand. Like, I know him now, but what I will know of him and the experience that I'm going to have with him forever is, is beyond. It's, it's unfathomable to me right now that God would be mindful of me and create me in a way that I could relate to him in that way. And not only that, but he gave us dominion. If we go back to verses 5 through 8, he's talking about, you know, uh, giving him dominion. In verse 6, over the works of his hands, you know, he put all things under his feet. And then talking about the different animals and stuff like that. You know, he has filled us as human beings with meaning and with purpose. If you go all the way back to the beginning when he created Adam and starts talking about the, the mandate and the, the thing that he was going to be, be having us do as mankind, ruling over this world. As his image bearers, we've been given stewardship over this world, and it's an incredible role to play. God has given us a, a purpose and a meaning to fill the earth and subdue it, We were made to be his representatives on the earth to govern and to rule over his creation as his ambassadors. That's what he made us for. And part of that that role would be relating to him as we went about fulfilling his purposes. And so he made us with so much purpose to relate to him, to be his ambassadors, his representatives on the earth. So much purpose and so much meaning. And it was never going to be hands off. Like God was never going to say, look, I made you, go do your thing. I'm going to stay back here. No, he, he always had plans to be with his people. And he had this great care and mindfulness of us. And God has been desiring a relationship with us from the beginning. But we have sinned, right? We have rebelled. And we have failed to bear his image well. We have failed to steward well the purpose and the meaning that he's given us. We have failed to steward well the opportunity to know him. Rather than live for the one whose image is in us, too many times we have set up other images and bowed down to those things, lived for those things, and often the image just of ourselves is serving ourselves. And what we deserve for that rebellion is death and judgment. We deserve to stand before God and feel the weight of his judgment. We deserve to stand condemned before this great and sovereign God, and yet... When sin entered the world, God was not done. He didn't say, forget it, scratch it. They didn't do what I wanted them to do, so it's over. No, he had a plan all along. His plan wasn't thwarted when sin entered the picture. It was actually just getting started. And I don't know if David had any idea of what was going to come, what he's writing about, and, and what, what was going to be implied even in these verses. But there was going to be another one to come through David's lineage to whom these verses would fully apply. Okay, so for us, we were made with these purposes, made to have dominion over the world, made to have a relationship with God, and yet we have, we've blown it. 
we cannot actually be everything that verses 5 through 8 says because of our sin. But one would come who would perfectly fulfill the purposes of God, who would steward his image well, and one who would be truly worthy of being crowned with this honor and glory. So for that, we need to go to Hebrews. Hebrews 2, 5 through 9. Some of this language is going to sound very familiar to us. So Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verses five, verse 5 going through 9, says, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we're speaking. It has been testified somewhere, that somewhere being Psalm 8, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, you left nothing outside of his control at present, We do not see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Third thing I want us to see is that we need to see the love with which he has loved us in Christ. See the love with which he's loved us in Christ. Not only was he mindful of us and cared for us, but he has loved us. And I, I love seeing Old Testament passages fulfilled in Christ. Christ is ultimately the one about whom David was writing, whether he had any knowledge of that or not. That this would be fulfilled in him, and, and this just reveals that there was a divine plan all along. David writing a thousand years before Jesus would come onto the scene. Jesus in his lineage. And it just shows you that that God had this plan for us as human beings from the beginning of, of who we were going to be and what we were made for. And David is recalling that and saying, look how he has given us his image. He's crowned us with glory and honor. But yet we have failed that, right? And David knew he had failed that too. But Jesus comes and he lives that out perfectly. And this is the one in whom all these things are fully true. You know, we couldn't live up to the call on us as his image bearers. We fell short and yet God did not lose sight of us He remained mindful of us. He remembered us, and he attended to us by meeting us in our failure. Jesus has come as one of us. It says he was made a little while lower than the angels so that he could face death on our behalf and God's grace could be ours. So not only has God been mindful of us, but he has set his love on us. This, what Jesus did is a condescension unlike any other. God whose image is in us, yes, but God, the one that we looked at first and said we need to be mindful of his greatness, stepped down to be one of us, take on flesh so that he might taste death, what we deserve for us. Incredible act of love for us, a love unlike anything other in its weight and in its glory, in its magnitude, but also in its ineffect- his effectiveness. Like He loved us so much that he came while we were still his enemies, and he set his love, based on, love on us based on nothing in us that would call out his love. There was nothing in us, in and of ourselves, that called out his love to say, you must love me. I'm worthy of your love. But God said, look, I see my image in you. I see my plans and my purposes for you, and I love you, and I'm setting my love on you, and I'm coming. I'm gonna make a way for you to, again, be crowned with that glory and honor with me. He was mindful of us. He cared for us. 
So listen, please do not leave, believe a lie. Do not believe a lie. It tells you that his love for you is diminished by your failures. Or that, his, that you still need to do certain things to earn his love. You know, maybe by having a stronger faith or doing all the right things. Do not believe the lie that your worth depends on your productivity. Or that anyone, including you, gets to determine whether or not you're lovable. Because Christ has loved us at our worst. He's chosen us and called us out as his own. So understand this. Because of what Jesus has done, all of this is absolutely true of us, that we are remembered by God. We are remembered by him. He is mindful of you. He has never once forgotten you. Even if it felt like he wasn't paying any attention to what was going on in your life, he has never once forgotten you. That you are readily on his mind. He's mindful of you. That he attends to us. He's not only aware of our situations, aware of our circumstances, but he is actively involved in caring for you in it. And, and if, if you are in Christ, then you are crowned in him with glory and honor. You know, we were made to be sons and daughters of the sovereign over the universe. That's what we were made for. Our sin has separated us from that identity, but he has made a way for us to have it again. And we will forever have his glory on us. He's chosen to share it with us that we might enjoy it and enjoy him forever. If you were to go look, we're not going right now, but if you want to go look at John 17, right there toward the end, verse 22 and 24, he's talking about sharing his glory with us and wanting us to be where he is so that we can see his glory and enjoy that forever. Feel free to write that down and go look at it later. But listen, he wants you to share this with him. And if you are in Christ, you have the image being renewed in you. What sin has tainted is being restored. What he has started in you, he will be faithful to complete. We will be fully formed, fully satisfied, fully sanctified when we go to be with the Lord forever. But he's working on it right now. He's working on renewing you right now so that you might live out his purposes that he has for you on the earth. We are still God's ambassadors in the world. Those of us who are in Christ have the opportunity to still be his ambassadors, his representatives on this earth, right? Not only do we exercise dominion over the created order, but we also are ambassadors to people who don't know him. All these other image bearers out there that are around us that don't know him, that are still waiting to be restored, waiting to hear the gospel, we have an opportunity to be ambassadors for God to them. You know what all this confirms for me? All these things, if I'm thinking about this, that like God's love has, has condescended to us, right? He has, he has reached out to us. He's set his love on us in Christ. If all these things that we talked about are true, it confirms to me that he delights in us. This word delight, we're talking about, how, how am I supposed to delight myself in the Lord? God delights in us. I can begin to catch a glimpse of this because I have kids and I delight in them even when they do ridiculous things. Amy texted me today and she said that our, our third child colored all over her hand and her fingernails with permanent marker today. So love that, you know. But at the same time, even though she fails in so many crazy ways and has just been super stubborn here lately, I delight in her. I love her. And I, I want so much good for her. And I can begin to understand how God could look at us and just love us, even, even in our failures, even our weaknesses and our shortcomings, because he has good plans for us and purposes for us. And I can't always accomplish all the good things that I have in mind for my kids, but God can accomplish those things in us. He delights in us. So why delight in him? Why love him? 
because he first loved us, because he first delighted in us. He has taken delight in saving me and redeeming me. And there's a lot of places you could go to in Scripture that would confirm this, talk about God delighting in his people. But here's one that I want us to mention, Zephaniah 3.17. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. And that's almost too good to be true. That God rejoices over me. That He rejoices over his people. That he wants to quiet me with his love. Like he is singing over me. You know, we, we think about ourselves singing praise and worship to the Lord. But what about the Lord singing? And the thought of this, that he would delight in us in this way. So we want to respond with delight. If he delights in us, he loves us in this way, how is it that we're going to delight ourselves in the Lord? Well, it's just those three things, honestly. To start this series, at least, that we want to think about who God is, how great he is. Remind yourself all the time of how amazing, how great he is, and how majestic he is. And then marvel at the fact that God would make us have plans for us and want to know us. He wants to give us purpose to our lives and meaning, and then consider what great lengths he has gone to to secure a people for himself even after they rebelled against him. What great lengths he has gone for you to secure you to himself. Think about him delighting in us. You know, because if we're going to remind ourselves of these things regularly, if we will remind ourselves of these things regularly, I think we'll see a desire for God growing in us. And it may seem like what we've talked about tonight is so elementary to you. You may have been church, in, in church for a long time, and maybe you know all the stuff, you know the gospel, you know all the things that we talked about tonight. You might be like, oh, okay, that's just basic stuff. I want to tell you, you never graduate from the gospel. You never graduate from the gospel. You never get over it. If you get over it, you've forgotten, you've lost it, you know. It is the foundation for everything else. You're never going to delight in the Lord apart from having an eye on the gospel. In fact, it's by looking upon Christ and the glory that is his that we're able to, to keep going and to keep growing as we walk in this life by faith. Look at these two passages together real quick. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, or at least part of 1 and 2, and then 2 Corinthians 3, 18. It says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. How? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed to the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Looking to Him is where we're going to get the endurance to keep going. You want to learn how to set aside sin in your life and all the other things that weigh on you? Looking to Jesus. You want to grow in Christ? You want to grow in your love for Christ? Looking upon the glory of the Lord. This is how it happens. As best as I can understand it, he works in us to see the beauty of the gospel. And our heart is changed toward God. That is how we come to faith in the first place, that he works in us, helps us to see the beauty of the gospel, see the reality and the truth. And our hearts are changed so that we can respond and and move toward God, right? And these old sinful approaches to fulfilling our desires will begin to fade in light of something more beautiful and something more worthwhile the more we look at the gospel. And he keeps the gospel in front of us and works in us so that we remind ourselves of these things, and more and more, our desires begin to shift as we behold Christ. 
the more you look upon something that is more lovely and more worthy and more beautiful than anything else in this world or, any, or anything that you think that will fulfill your desires in this world, the more you look to him, the less and, de- and the more diminished everything of this world will seem. And fulfilling your desires in your own way and by your own understanding with worldly things will seem less and less desirable. And you'll continue to help us to further in this desire of desiring what he desires and delighting in him. And as we find delight in the God of our salvation, the deepest desires of our heart, having been transformed, will find their satisfaction in him. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Listen, every time that I have ever felt an overwhelming sense of his presence with me, every single time that I have just either been in prayer or reading the scriptures or I was in Christian community with other people or as I, I was in a worship service, every time I've ever just known, absolutely, the Lord's presence is with me right now, felt it. I don't know if you've ever been there. I, I hope you have. I hope you've experienced that. But it's happened to me plenty of times up to this point, but still it sometimes seems scarce. But every time it's happened, it's been centered around gospel truth. It wasn't until I just stopped and remembered the gospel, remembered how desperate I was for him and how much he has done for me. And it's remembering his love for me despite my unworthiness and his huge heart toward me. That has been my source of joy and my source of of sensing his presence. And I know it's not always easy to remember that is to remember his love and his care or his mindfulness of us when life is hard. But I'm telling you, it's not impossible. It's not impossible when life is difficult to remember these things because honestly, some of those moments where I've sensed his presence have been in some of the hardest moments of my life. Some of the hardest seasons of my life have been the moments where I remembered the gospel and knew his presence and just felt it. So it's not like you have to wait till good moments or that you can't feel it in those darker times. Listen. At any point in time, in any circumstance, you can remind yourself of his love. And the Holy Spirit can do a work in you of showing you his presence and his love and his care and his mindfulness that he hasn't forgotten you, that he loves you. And this whole bit about God being most glorified us, <clears throat> in us when we're most satisfied in him, it doesn't mean satisfied in his blessings. It means satisfied in him. Because if you're waiting on his blessings or waiting on life to get good to feel like you're satisfied in him, you could be waiting forever if your desires are not aligned with his desires and his plans for you. You're waiting for one good gift in particular to feel that he is caring for you or that you want to glorify God when you get that one thing. You might be waiting for a long time. It's not satisfaction in the things that he might give us, but it's satisfaction in him because he is the same no matter the circumstances. And because he's the same no matter the circumstances, you can find the same sense of satisfaction in him whether you feel a whole lot of blessing in your life or not. So we glorify him. We do enjoy the good things that he provides because that does honor him. But we don't only glorify him when we feel like he has given us everything that we want. So we need to consider, again, who he is, his desires for us, his love for us, and let it lead us to worship him. That doesn't just mean singing. I'm sure you've heard it said before that all of life is meant to be worshipped to the Lord, and that's true, and it can be. 
you know, part of what it means to delight ourselves in the Lord is to begin seeing everything that we do as an opportunity to worship God. As we go through the regular routines of life and the circumstances that we're dealing with, will we keep these things in mind that we talked about tonight? Because if we will, then everything can become an act of worship. And yet, also, we have the opportunity to worship, to sing. You know, as he is ready to sing over us, when we have an opportunity to sing, we should sing. One way that we delight ourselves in the Lord is singing alongside fellow believers and worshiping him 